Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Paradox podcast. Ben Turner is a very interesting guy. He is a surgeon. He has a master's degree in medical ethics. He has a very interesting undergrad in liberal arts from Thomas Aquinas College with a grounding in all of the basics of uh, philosophy and history and political science. And I think this made him uniquely positioned to see COVID times for what they really were. Ben has recently taken over the headship of the Canadian uh, Society for Science and Ethics in Medicine, CSSEM, which you can check out at cssem.org. Ben has been active with this this group and uh, with other physicians in fighting back against some of the more egregious overreaches of public health and government COVID policy. Bill 36 is a new bill in British Columbia that is designed to really change the landscape around how the practice of medicine and other healthcare professions is regulated. This bill has caused great concern, not only in British Columbia, but right across Canada and to some extent um, outside of Canada as well as uh, doctors and other healthcare professionals have looked at this as a possible harbinger of what is to come in other places. Ben does a great job of dissecting the bill, of explaining what points are of particular concern and why we should be concerned about them. It was a real privilege to talk to Ben, and I think you'll find this conversation as interesting and enlightening as I did. Hi, everybody. I'm here on July 25th, 2023 with Dr. Ben Turner. Uh, very happy that Ben joined me to talk about a few pressing issues in the on the uh, other coast, the left coast of uh, Canada. And uh, so, Ben, thanks a lot for uh, talking to me today. Thanks a lot for having me, Chris. Right on. Well, firstly, uh, I know who you are. We have corresponded before, but maybe for the listeners, you can just take them through uh, a little bit about your background and who you are. Perfect. Thanks very much. Um, basic, uh, basic me is I'm a, a general surgeon. Um, Always wanted to be since uh, since I started medical school and um, went, went through a lot of work to become that. Uh, I had a brief dalliance with uh, head and neck oncology, um, which where I still maintain an interest, but I realized uh, I need to still be doing uh, appendix and gallbladder problems as well. So um, I've um, done kind of a tour of Western Canada as a, as a general surgeon covering various locums and uh, finally started working permanently in Ohio as such. Um, from uh, from BC basically, was born in Alberta, but grew up in BC, um, and then went to school everywhere else but BC. So um, uh, my undergrad at Thomas Aquinas College in California, then med school at Western in Ontario, and um, residency in Calgary. Little extra training in uh, Winnipeg and Florida. Uh, I've covered every bit of road between Miami Beach and uh, Whitehorse, and a little bit beyond as a as a result of all that and uh, everything between Ottawa and um, Tijuana uh, in the other direction. So uh, yeah. it's been an exciting life, but it's hopefully settling down now. Um, I've also uh, done a, a master's degree in, in healthcare ethics, which has been especially relevant the past couple of years. And the most recent development is that I was recently elected the president of the Canadian Society for Science and Ethics in Medicine. Uh, which I, uh, I assume we'll be talking about a little bit more. 
Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah, well, for sure. And um, so, yeah, you have a background in ethics. Um, just to, to fill in the last bit, you're you're a dad of four, I gather. Yes, four. The fourth one coming up in a couple of weeks, actually. Yeah. Okay. So three, almost three four. beautiful little girls so far, and um, we're waiting for the surprise on the next one. Lovely. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you kindly. Yes. So, um, okay. So uh, coming around. So you mentioned that the the background in ethics had become particularly relevant in the last few years. And certainly many of us, both in uh, medicine and the broader society, have, have seen the need for that. But tell me about the CSSEM, the, the Canadian Society for Science. What is it? Science, science and Ethics in Medicine. Science. I was getting it right. Okay. So yeah, you were. Yeah. Tell us about that. And how did you end up being uh, voluntold? You're going to be the head of it. Yeah, thanks. Um, well, um, it, we, it was really one of the most um, truly organic, uh, spontaneous grassroots things I've ever been uh, a part of. Um, there were a number of us, uh, and I, I should say for background, the society is largely based in British Columbia and is largely focused on British Columbian uh, problems, uh, particularly at the moment, although we want to um, branch it out for the rest of the country as well. Um, but uh, just a, a number of Canadian physicians, pardon me, uh, British Columbian physicians um, disconcerted with various aspects of the pandemic response, um, starting with uh, the various lockdowns, um, various nonsensical uh, attempts to put the genie back in the bottle once COVID uh, broke out, Um, then the horrified realization that this was never going to be two weeks to flatten the curve, it was it was going to alter our lives forever. Um, And then when it came down to uh, vaccine mandates, I think that was really the, uh, the thing that spurred us all to get uh, together into uh, a more formal group, um, but just finding each other one by one, um, almost in a whispered kind of a, you know, I think he, I think he might be, uh, you know, <laughs> thinking about these things too. Oh, okay, because so's she. So let's and and um, and then finally uh, incorporated uh, as a formal society, and we uh, we have meetings every month um, trying to address um, current matters. Um, mm-hmm. As I said, we came together. Um, largely around well, formally anyway largely around the time of the uh, vaccine mandates and um a couple of our core um um projects are the support of um some legal efforts one against the um believe it or not still ongoing um vaccine uh, covid vaccine mandate uh, to be able to work in hospital in any capacity in british columbia um so we've put forward uh, a judicial review, um, which is um, taken a little while. I always do, but uh, the next steps will be in the fall sometime. Mm-hmm. And um, then a number of our members lost privileges with uh, various hospital authorities in in British Columbia, um, and uh, they are uh, trying to fight to get their privileges back. Um, and the hope there being basically eventually the the first mandate will drop and then if these people have their privileges back uh, they can go back to work um mm-hmm. whereas if they have it on a per, as a permanent mark on their records that they've had privileges re, uh, removed somewhere they uh, you know they may never even be able to maintain a license um mm-hmm. so uh, two important fights there uh, th- they've been going for a while and they'll continue um and okay. then we're, um, but we're also recognizing that that um, 
this wasn't the beginning of of um, you know, bad medical law, bad medical practice, etc. It won't be the end, and we want to um, stay ahead of the game and look for the uh, next challenges that'll be coming up, and um, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully be in a better position to respond rather than uh, we're always. It's felt like we're always playing catch up, as I think a, a lot of people have felt. Well, yeah, I think that many of us have felt that way. But <clears throat> what I what I'd say is that the degree of uh, tyranny and I, you know I don't use the word often, but the degree of tyranny and evil has kind of taken us by surprise. I think um, not many of us saw it going this badly this quickly. No, and it's interesting. I think a lot of the people running the show uh, also didn't see it. They didn't realize that they could. Uh, I think Neil Oliver, not Neil Oliver, excuse me. Um, uh, the the modeler in England, yeah, that's um, Ferguson, yeah, yeah. I think he even said we didn't think we'd get away with this in England. He, he saw what they did in China. He thought that was the right thing to do, but he didn't think they'd get away with it. Get away with was the expression. Um, and to his amazement and to everyone else's, that's that's exactly how it's been. Yeah, things have gone down that road pretty far and pretty fast. So, so you guys, uh, so that's great. So CSSEM has its finger in a few different uh, court cases, some important stuff you're meeting regularly. Um, so Bill 36 in BC has been of great concern and many of us right across Canada and even beyond are, are looking at this bill with some concern. And, and I know you and your group are, are concerned as well. So maybe you can give us a sketch of bill 36 what is it where did it come from what are the main components and what do you see as the concerns with it yeah so the bill is it's been sort of um in the offing for quite a while the province has uh, for some time wanted to revamp the um the college now that's it's it's um it's all of the regulated health uh, professions the colleges that uh, that cover all of the regulated health professions so that's your uh, your doctor, obviously, your nurse, obviously, dentist, uh, but then everything from chiropractic to uh, traditional Chinese medicine, a uh, number of things you didn't realize even uh, existed. Um, and the um, the ostensible goal is largely to streamline the, uh, a laudable goal, actually, it's to streamline the um, the running of the colleges. There were a few that were uh, so small that they regulated almost fewer people than it would take to run a college. Um, so they're, they're trying to cut down on the number of the colleges. Um, the, there are some general provisions to try to make disciplinary processes a little more public. Um, and these are the, the main couple of things that the government um, refers to when they're speaking publicly about the, uh, about the bill, which is now an act, by the way, it has been enacted, but um it's sort of in suspended animation. They need there are a number of regulations they need to write before it can become the law of the land. Um, those are still pending, so there, it, there's still some time to push back. Um, any case, um, so there's there are those are kind of the selling points for it. Um, but it's an extremely long um, piece of legislation, and. Um, if you take the trouble to look through the the whole piece of legislation, as I have and as a, a number of uh, like-minded people have, you realize that uh, under that veneer, there are a number of very important changes to the um, practice of medicine um, in the province. And, and and it's such a big bill that it's hard to just cut down to a few points. What are 
what are the worst things about it? Um, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you the things that I think are the, the biggest problems. Number one, um, it, they attempt to, um, say that it preserves self-regulation of the profession because, uh, the board of the, of the new college will be, um, uh, half made up of, I'll, I'll say physicians, not obviously this is all the different colleges, so it's not going to be physicians in every case, but um, to keep it simple, I'll say physicians, um, and half members of the public, but they'll all be uh, appointed by the government, whereas uh, presently the physician members are um, are elected. Mm-hmm. Why is that important? I, I, it's important because one of the um, one of the great goods of medical practice in Canada is that the uh, practice is regulated by people who actually practice medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and the government has tried to paint that as a conflict of interest. So um, we can't really have physicians supervising each other, disciplining each other, um, because, well, obviously, they, they'll just take the interests of the physician to heart rather than the interests of the patient, interests of the public, whatever. Uh, maybe I'll pause there and say that that uh, I think probably strikes any physician in Canada as patently absurd uh, because we're all terrified of our colleges. We, mm-hmm. no, nobody thinks he's going to get a light hearing from the college. Uh, a lot of us don't really think we're even going to get a fair hearing from the college, um, uh, especially depending on subject matter. Um, but nobody thinks that um, we're going to be able to mistreat patients and get away with it because the people running the college are also physicians. Mm-hmm. So, the, so it, um, it preserves a veneer of, of physician self-regulation, but uh, I would say the power of appointing everyone uh, means that ultimately it won't really be self-regulation. It'll be government regulation, which in itself is, um, you know, it's a bad idea, but it's not the very worst idea. There are places I've just moved to the United States. The United States uh, tends to have a government regulated health profession and it's not the end of the world uh but it was a, a very good thing we had in bc that really we ought to uh ought to preserve um things just, that maybe, I, maybe i'll pause you there and say yeah, sure. just so just so the listeners who may not be familiar with this whole structure understand it well um so it would kind of be the equivalent like uh right now no no doctor voted for bonnie henry to be the uh, you know, the chief medical officer of health for BC. Um, and somehow the idea of the government with this new regulation is that we'll, we'll have better regulators if we tell the doctors what doctors are going to regulate them rather than the doctors voting them in themselves. And I, I, I it's a bit of an aside, but I, I just always thought that you know, this idea that the MOH is the, you know, quote unquote top doc as they're always talked about if they really were the top doc and they were voted in, we might've had a much better situation with COVID, but uh, they're not, yeah. they're, they're political appointees. So we're going to get the same yeah. type of people in regulating physicians is what I understand. Is that, am I looking at that right? Uh, th- that's, that's what my fear is. And what the, the, a lot of people's fears. Uh, um, and I think she actually illustrates that pretty well um, because even in her own uh, autobiography that um, came out uh, during the, you know, during the thick of the pandemic, if you will. Um, she talks about the, um, I mean, she doesn't use the expression conflict of interest, but she talks about the pressure that comes from government to to say whatever government says. And she talks about uh, essentially her willingness to play along with that. 
um, you know, she tries to, you know, finesse it a little bit and say, well, you know, I, I'm, I, I have to figure out what I can say when I can say it so I don't get fired. Because if I get fired, then it will not be useful at all. But uh, she makes it explicit that she's willing to take direction from government when government is um, then turning around and pinning everything on on her um, and saying it was it was her idea. Um, so I, that would be uh, if Bill 36, um, if, if the act goes through as presently written, that would um, exert that kind of political pressure on the entire practice of medicine in the province. Gotcha. So, so and, there was, sorry, there were no, some no. other really concerning parts of the bill as well. Do you want to, do you want to talk about them? Just yeah, so. for sure. So, so I, I mean, I think that what we've talked about so far is a, is a problem. It's a big problem, but um, it's not, it doesn't fundamentally warp the practice of medicine. Um, it's just a bad idea. But then there's some other things in the bill that I think really do fundamentally um, change the meaning of the physician-patient uh, relationship. And <clears throat> first among those um, is that the uh, the the province takes um, an extremely powerful role in writing uh, standards of practice. And standards of practice. Uh, it's important to look into the definitions of these things. Standards of practice, if you look at the previous Health Professions Act in BC, um, pretty clearly, you know, there's a little room for interpretation, but it, it pretty clearly is just talking about things like how you store your records. Um, you know, have are you having sexual relationships with your patients? Um, are you advertising yourself as something that you're not? It doesn't. It's not really talking about, and it's important even for, for physicians hearing um, the podcast that that's we hear standards of practice and we tend to think you know uh, uh, giving necessary antibiotics in, a, in an obvious situation right we think standard of care right that's that's what we tend to think of that's not what's intended in in the act in the old act in the previous act standards of practice is defined so vaguely it can mean just about anything um, and so that means it's going to mean whatever the the minister of health says it means hmm um, so what that comes down to is now the province will, without too much twisting of the legislation, uh, be able to say how you can treat patients in particular situations. And what's really horrifying to me is they can even uh, they can set standards over what you can tell or not tell a patient or the public, leaving the public to one side for the moment. Uh, that really does change the very meaning of, of medicine uh, because medicine is, is by definition an individual, it, it depends on the individual patient before the individual physician. Um, there's no, there are broad guidelines for the right things to do in, in given situations, but you, there's no such thing as the mass practice of medicine. There never should be. That's why you're not allowed to advertise um, drugs without various um, uh, disclaimers. Um, that's why everyone who, you know, goes on TV to talk in general terms about uh, medical matters, you know, some new drug that's come out, for example, ought to be saying something to the effect of this is not medical advice. I am not your doctor. We've never met. Uh, this is something that's interesting you might want to talk with your doctor about, but I'm not practicing medicine by speaking on the television. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think there should even be really um, some benefit of the doubt given to a physician speaking publicly uh, that it's so obvious he's not practicing medicine uh, by speaking publicly about something that even if he doesn't say that explicitly, that that ought to be the the assumption uh, mm-hmm. is 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 not practicing medicine. He's talking about things of, of interest. Um, well, under the the new act, um, such a person is um, is liable to any pretty much any kind of uh, punishment that the college can uh, come up with, up to um, suspension or, uh, or or revoking of uh, of licenses. And and wasn't there even a, I'd seen in this in the legislation that there was up to two hundred thousand dollar fines and jail terms as well. Is that true? Uh, that that is true. And now and um, here's one place where I think I have a little bit different interpretation of the act than uh, a lot of my colleagues. Uh, so the way I read the act, I think that's talking about if you put yourself out as um, a physician, if you're not, or 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 as a nurse, if you're a physician, or you know something that you're not uh, authorized to a, a profession you're not authorized to practice. So. Um, I know a couple of people who are worried that the that could be twisted to mean you can get a you can go to jail if you, you know, if you say ivermectin might be a reasonable treatment for COVID, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I don't think that that's a correct uh, reading of the bill. I'm happy to be corrected if if someone can show me the spot. But every time I look at the reference that someone shows me, it looks like it's it's really just talking about um, pretending to be someone you're not. Okay, so so, that, so that that's that's a bit more hopeful than some of them. That's a little bit reassuring, although although not much, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, not too much. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, so just to summarize, then, so this this Bill Thirty Six is number one. It takes power away from physicians to choose their own regulators and puts that in the hand of uh, the government of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, it sort of centralizes that power into one big board rather than each profession regulating itself as as they see fit. And number three, there's some new restrictions in around what you are allowed to say during your personal interactions, your, your, your doctor patient action, or sorry, interaction is actually regulated by the right, exactly. Individual treatment decisions can can be regulated in a in a sweeping blanket kind of way that's where i think um we're out of the realm of just a bad idea like a really bad idea um and into um attempting to rewrite the very meaning of of medicine mm-hmm. um so that's the sort of thing that no no physician should have that kind of power no board of physicians should have that kind of power um there there are existing um mechanisms for investigating whether a doctor is grossly incompetent um so the the in that way the the colleges have the um have the authority to look into whether someone you know whether someone is incompetent or not that doesn't give the college the authority to um say what the correct treatment should have been for those patients who are mistreated by that incompetent physician they have to go find another physician Right. And, and this this was really obvious uh, until I mean, I like so many things. This was it was really clear what everybody meant by this until COVID. Mm. Um, and then what I think the first major departure from this was when colleges started to um, come out saying 
uh, setting restrictions around whether physicians could uh, give off-label medications to treat COVID. So for example, hydroxychloroquine or, or ivermectin. Now, uh, I, um, I'm i a surgeon, right? I, this outside my expertise, whether those are um, um, reasonable drugs to give people in the situation, but um, it it is very unusual. I can't think of a previous example. I'd love to know if you know one where a regulatory body before COVID said, you can't give this medication for this indication. Like, so where, where they talk about specific treatment decision type questions, it's tended to be things like you can't do female genital mutilation. Like it's the things where you're departing from the practice of medicine entirely. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, you're doing the opposite of medicine, whatever that is. Right. So mm-hmm. questions of whether a particular off-label drug might be appropriate in a particular setting, which just were never even dreamt of as, as the remit of the colleges. And the, this, the way standards of practice is um, that phrase comes up in the previous act. It's really obvious that that's not what they're talking about. They, they list a million other things they're talking about. Um, as I, I mean, I gave example examples before of, of uh, um, how you handle your records, your relationships with patients, but um, there's there's no mechanism in there for them to say you can't give hydroxychloroquine for COVID, um, which they did quite successfully anyway. But the the thing is that's at a time when um, law was largely just suspended in Canada, and uh, people in authority could just say whatever they wanted to, um, interpret laws however they wanted to, write new laws without even writing them down. Um, but the new act puts that into black letter law. The the uh, the state gets to make medical decisions. It's not in that in as many words in the act, but if you look at the relevant uh, sub uh, paragraphs and whatnot, the if anyone's interested in looking it up, paragraph two thirteen two one three has the. I think the most frightening parts uh, of the legislation in it. It just says the minister can set practice standards regulate what a physician must or cannot tell a patient. Um, and then practice standards is really not defined in this piece of legislation as it was in the previous one. Right. Right. Okay. So this is, this is a, a very large and yeah, a very significant change to the, the doctor patient relationship. If this passes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. And, 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 and it's, it's like, we're in real danger because it's, it's already passed. Um, all we're waiting for is for the hammer to drop with respect to, they have to write the uh, regulations uh, that will interpret it basically. And we don't know how long that's going to take. And, um, but, but, you know, we ought to be assuming it'll, it'll happen at some point. Yeah. And I I don't know if you feel the same way, but I I certainly feel that this is sort of not, I don't think we were just heading in a fine direction and then all of a sudden this hit. We were sliding in this direction for, for quite a number of years, bit by bit, as colleges sort of clawed away at doctors' independence, bit by bit. But I, I think there still was that feeling that the doctor was an independent practitioner who could speak with his patient and make uh, decisions along with them on, on their individual behalf. Um, yeah. Rather I, I- than- yeah, no, I agree. And actually, thanks for bringing that up because I think at, at some other um, worrisome aspects of the act, um, if you look, uh, if you look closely at the old act, some of them are actually already there too. So, for example, um, the um, the college um, 
had already the uh, the authority to look through your patient records if there was any suspicion that you um, were practicing incompetently, um, even without a court order. Um, you could be, you were effectively held in, in contempt of court if you didn't uh, provide records in the right circumstances. Um, so these things are also there in the, in the new act, but um, uh, they were there before and they were, they were a big problem before. So I'm definitely not trying to say that the, the previous act was, uh, was perfect, but um, and the other thing um, that um, the previous act seems to, and, and, and previous bylaws, at least at the BC college seems to make a lot of room for is um, people with no standing whatsoever, making complaints against physicians. So I've heard from a lot of physicians who say, um, I, I had a patient that was uh, such and such of a, of a type of case. I gave this treatment. Uh, the patient got better, thanked me. Um, and uh, then his uh, family member, fill in the blank, uh, complained to the college. And now I'm being dragged through an investigation. Mm-hmm. Um it, 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 in spite of the patient's complete satisfaction with the care it was providing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's another, that's something that needs, if we want to rewrite the legislation around medical regulation, uh, that would be something worth addressing is the question of standing. Like you can't, you can't just go to court, for example, in a, in a regular court and say that guy hit that guy. And, um, you know, they, 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 they had a bar fight. They agreed to have a bar fight and, uh, um, and I want them both to go to jail, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it just you, you wouldn't even get the, in the door of the of the mm-hmm. court, yeah. and uh, and yet it works for uh, medical regulation, right? Yeah, and and uh, as somebody who has had that type of complaint levied against me um, on more than one occasion, I, I totally understand how frustrating and um, um, how destructive that is to to the doctor's job satisfaction to have that happen. Um, I'll, as a general comment, one of one of the things that I kind of see this being a uh, this is an example of a certain phenomenon. There, there's this idea that I think it comes from the U.S., but they say the average person, if you watch closely, commits eight felonies a day or something because right. there there are so many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pages of regulation now. You, you know, you can't dump this type of chemical in your yard and you can't um, burn wood unless it's in this type of wood burn. You know, the, the rate, there's so many regulations for so many things that we can't help but break them. And what it means is that these laws are selectively applied. You know, they're applied... They're, they can't be universally applied as a law is supposed to. So they're selectively applied when yeah. there's a, the, exactly the, 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 in the public, the public speech type stuff, um, which again, uh, nobody should have been um, uh, investigated for, for um, unless there were particular reasons for it, but, but as a general rule, people shouldn't have college complaints against them for discussing particular types of treatments for, for diseases. But According to the the practical standards by which a lot of people were so investigated, there was far more of that kind of activity on the other side, like people um, people talking about how people should be denied care if they're not vaccinated, for example, all over Twitter, you know, people using their own using their own names, publicly identifiable, uh, prominent people saying things like that uh, and never being investigated. 
physicians uh, I saw physicians who tweeted or put things on Facebook saying the unvaccinated deserve to die. I hope they die. And right. As far right. as I know, there were zero of them investigated for that. I've never heard of one and I would have. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that it's, that's exactly right. You, you make enough regulations, you make everybody a criminal and then you decide who goes to jail. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you a quick example, which you'll, you'll appreciate from our, our own college has had a pr- proliferation of, uh, practice guidelines, I, I think they call them here. And we, we had a guideline on the books for a while that had to do with um, the maximum amounts of narcotics that was reasonable to give and about mixing narcotic prescriptions with other potentially dangerous prescriptions. And I actually kind of like that because we had a lot of doctors who were over prescribing, we had overdoses and deaths. And I just think things were a little crazy. And so when they first put that in, I thought that's a great idea. But then a few years later, they came out with another proposed guideline. I don't think it's gone through. I was kind of involved with the first readings of it, long story, but uh, this new guideline said that if a patient applies to be in your practice as a family physician, you can't deny them if you're, if they're on a narcotic, you also can't cut down the amount of that narcotic without that patient's permission. So you, you have to write the repeat prescription at the previous dose. Right. So basically the way it was, the way the guideline was written was that you could not refuse a patient from coming into your practice because they were on a narcotic, but you also weren't allowed to reduce or eliminate that narcotic without the patient's agreement. So you could see how this would work is that the moment a patient was in your door and then they announced that I'm on whatever a thousand milligrams of morphine per day, but I'm not willing to go down on that. Then in theory, you would be violating their guideline by not prescribing it, but you would also violate their other guideline by prescribing it. So it, it, you, they had you coming or going and, and they could just choose to single out, you know, so basically every doctor would violate the guideline one way or another, but they could decide who they would press right. charges against. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just an example of this. Uh, it, when we have so many regulations that can't actually be enforced as written. Yeah. Anyway, um, so that's a bit of bit of a, a sideline that I took it down. But is there anything else you want to say about uh, Bill Thirty Six or CSSEM? Well, maybe a couple of final little points on on Thirty Six. Um, so uh, the same kind of thing that was there before, but is going to be much worse now. Um, is just the um sort of Gestapo style uh, enforcement of the thing. So you can um. The, the province would be able to enter and search your practice without notice, lock you out of it, uh, copy patient records, um, all without a warrant. It says in the in the in the act uh, under what are the circumstances that uh, that can be done, and the third circumstances are pretty much if the if the minister thinks it's appropriate. So all the problems you thought you might have had with the college before, they're going to be much worse, uh, and there are some even worse problems that are uh, that are completely new. I, I wish my colleagues in the province would just read the damn thing um, and be appropriately horrified at it. And, and then we might get some meaningful pushback. Uh, CSSEM, um, well, we're, we're uh, as I said, we, we, the, our, we got together to run these, these main couple of uh, legal efforts in BC and we intend to see those through to the end. That's our sort of, that's our core mandate at the moment. Um, but <clears throat> we also uh, want to, We've been involved in in a lot of the Bill Thirty Six stuff. Um, we uh, we we weren't the primary drivers of it, but we uh, we did get um, 
um, we, we helped with collecting signatures on what um, uh, I believe is the second most popular um, petition ever to reach the BC legislature um, uh, asking for the repeal of, uh, of bill 36 and um, we've um, we've been circulating some educational materials around it and uh, the the nice thing about that is it, it shows that um, we're not uh, we're not just an, an uncharitable reader could uh, look at our website and think we're just a bunch of uh, anti-vax nuts um, which is not at all the case we are just people who have refused to outsource our intellects uh, with respect either to science or uh, ethics and um so it's it's actually nice to be able to pick up something that's not COVID related, uh, and hopefully that has broader traction even among some physicians who might not have thought uh, exactly the way we did around COVID. And we we want to keep expanding that way. And we want to expand uh, across the rest of the uh, the country as well. If uh, if anyone's interested in joining, then um, just uh, check out our website and. Um, CSSEM.org? Uh, .org, yeah, CSSEM.org. And I'll put that in the show notes too. Thank you kindly. Lovely. Well, listen, thanks so much. And um, I'm I'm hoping, I, I know, I don't, I don't think you're quite decided yet, but I'm hoping we'll see you out at our Free Speech and Medicine Conference this year. There's going to be lots of great people there. And uh, there's 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 rumor that you might come. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm coming. I, I just, uh, I, I'm just getting my feet under me in Ohio. So I uh, right. hopefully well, get out there. We'll well, I, I I really I similar problems. I couldn't come last year, so I uh, really want to make the effort this time. Lovely. Well, we'd love to see you, and uh, if you do come, it'd be a great place for people to meet you in person and chat with you more about this. So, thanks very much for spending the time. Can't wait to see you in person. Thanks a lot. Lovely. Thanks. Good. Bye.